God's grief. What is that? What's God's grief? Our unbelief. 
our unbelief. It grieves God. He was grieved. Forty years, we're going to find out, with the unbelief of the first wilderness generation, the first ones out of Egypt, and the living God as opposed to idols. We serve the living God. And then if you'll see in the second column, this is what it's going to say about us. It's going to tell, talk about tonight us being partakers. Say partaker. Partaker. What are we a partaker of? If somebody said... I saw a partaker in chapter 3 of Hebrews. What does that mean? What are you, What are Christians a partaker of? What are some of the things we might say? Blessings. Blessings? What's something else? Eternal life. Swear eternal life. Okay, so we're going to find out how to better answer that question possibly. Or, or additionally, we're going to find out in 3.1 we're a partaker of the heavenly calling. Say the heavenly calling. Heavenly calling. And as we get in past that, we tasted of the heavenly gift. What's that? The earnest of our inheritance. Just a little bit, just a little down payment on what we're going to receive. We've tasted the powers of the world to come. That's of the Holy Ghost too, isn't it? We have tasted of the good word of God. We are enlightened. What does that mean, Philip? We tasted of the good word. We're enlightened. That means that we got a revelation. God has to show us who he is. Remember, blessed art thou, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood didn't reveal it to you, but my Father which is in heaven. So we've got to be enlightened. We've got to taste of the good word, not just read it. We've got to partake of it. Partake of it. So in that, in that blank of, on original recipients, the instructions, I want y'all to write, consider Jesus. That's what they're going to ask us to do in this chapter. To consider Jesus. To take heed, number two. Remember the second chapter, last chapter? That's what we talked, take heed lest we drift. Mm -hmm. Take these warnings. Number three, exhort one another daily. An exhortation is not just a little warning or an encouragement. It's a very strong one. Neil, we're supposed to exhort one another daily, strongly urging one another to continue in the faith, to continue in the word, and harden not your hearts, as in the provocation. These are the, some of the main things we're going to talk about. And then there are warnings again. We've talked about in Hebrews, there's warnings all throughout the book. Warnings. Because who are we dealing with? Who are the recipients? Jewish Christians that are thinking about going back to Judaism. They can't be saved. Without the Lord, you can't be saved. If you took the Bible, all of it's, all of, it's uh, of God. But if you cut off from Jesus' words on, on, can you be saved? He alone, he has the words of what? Life. Words of life. So you can't go back to Judaism. It was of God. It was a revelation of God. It came through Moses. But you can't go back to it and be saved. And because they're being persecuted, they're suffering. So what is this author doing? He's coming to get them deeply rooted their roots to go down deep, the soils, so when that sun's out and that persecution's out, they're deeply rooted. So he's educating them and he's teaching them and he's drawing from the things that they believe in in the Old Testament and he's, he's getting them rooted and he's warning them. And so the Old Testament examples that are going to be used in chapter 3 are Moses, 
Now, do they have high esteem for Moses? Yes, yes. And so he's going to use uh, he's going to use that as a teaching tool. And then um, another Old Testament example we're going to find out is the temptation in the wilderness. And this is with the first generation out, the first ones out that are going to uh, have to wander in the wilderness for forty years because of their unbelief. Okay, but that's the first thing I wanted to do with you. The second thing that I want to do with you is I want a good reader to come up and read for me. And we're going to read the chapters, the verses. Oh, come on. Y'all don't line up like this. I'll read it. Okay. And I'm going to be like Jeff Arnold. Have you ever seen him teach BOTT? He makes And I think he liked doing it to Brother Anthony. Okay. So having demonstrated Jesus to be deity and superior to the prophets, the angels, and creation, the author now compares Jesus to Moses. The comparison is followed with a reference to Israel's unfaithfulness in the wilderness, which leads to another warning. Departing from the living God, do not depart by developing an evil part of unbelief. So let's take off, Bruce. Verse 1, chapter 3. Wherefore, holy brethren, partakers of the heavenly calling, consider the apostle and high priest of our profession, Christ Jesus, who was faithful to him that appointed him, as also Moses was faithful in all his house. For this man was counted worthy of more glory than Moses, inasmuch as he who builded the house hath more honor than the house. For every house is built by some man, but he that built all things is God. <clears throat> and Moses verily was faithful in all his house as a servant for a testimony of those things which were to be spoken after, but Christ as a son over his own house, whose house we are, whose house are we, if we hold fast uh, the confidence and the rejoicing of the hope firm until the end. Now, um, verse 7, Wherefore, as the Holy Ghost saith today, if you will hear his voice, harden not your hearts, as in the provocation, in the day of temptation in the wilderness, when your fathers tempted me, proved me, and saw my works forty years. Wherefore I was grieved with that generation, and said, They do always err in their heart, and they have not known my ways. So I swear in my wrath, they shall not enter into my rest. Take heed, brethren, lest there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief in departing from the living God. But exhort one another daily while it is called today, lest any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. For we are made partakers of Christ if we hold the beginning of our confidence steadfast unto the end. While it is said today, if you will hear his voice, harden not your heart, as in the provocation. For some, when they heard, did provoke, howbeit not all that came out of Egypt by Moses, but with whom was he grieved forty years? Was it not with them that had uh, sinned, whose carcasses fell in the wilderness? And to whom swear he that they should not enter into his rest, but to them that believed not? So we see that we that we see that they could not enter in because of unbelief. Thank you so much. Good reader. So we're talking about who the Lord is and consider 
Jesus. So we're not just talking about consider Jesus who chapter 3 is talking about. We're going all the way back. Remember all that we went through in one of who he is. And, and we uh, mainly pointed out his deity. And chapter 2, what he did to save us. How he's the seed of Abraham. And what, how he is the perfected high priest because he became a man. And so when we get to 3, we, we're adding on some more things to consider about Jesus. It's not working. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> my, my technology assistant. Mm -hmm. So I just need the second slide. I'm just going to keep teaching until next week. So Christ is superior to Moses. What is? What are they pointing out? What's the contrast? The difference between a son, which is Christ, and a servant, which is Moses. What's the difference between a son and a servant? What's the difference? A son gets what? Inheritance. Inheritance. What does a servant get? He gets the honor of serving in God's house. What an honor. It is an honor. But a son will inherit his work that he's done, and a servant won't. And then the difference between, thank you so much, the difference between being over the house and in the house. Moses is in the house. He's in the house as a servant. Jesus is over the house. So there's a big difference between being a son over God's house and being a servant in God's house. Jesus is worthy of more glory, it says in chapter 3, because why? Why does it say he's worthy of more glory? What's the point that is made? And I think this is in your questions. But Jesus is worthy of more glory because he is the builder and the son. He's God. God's the builder of all things, and he's the son that has come to us. Verse 3, look at it. Inasmuch as he who hath built the house hath what? More honor than the house. So even though it's his house, who's got the most honor? The builder. The builder of the house. For every house is builded by some man, but he that built all things is God. Verse 4. Verse 5, Moses verily was faithful in his house as a what? Servant. Servant. For a testimony of those things which were to be spoken afterwards. So it's going to point us to Christ. The law brought us to Christ for a testimony of those things which would be spoken afterwards. So Christ is superior to Moses. And we talked about the Mount of Transfiguration, Matthew 17, where on one side of Jesus, what happens? Who appears? Moses. Moses, the law, and Elijah, the prophet. And Peter's got this bright idea, hey, let's build three tabernacles, you know, one for Moses, one for you, one for Elijah, not knowing what he said, and lots of times he didn't know what he said. But anyway, that was before he got the Holy Ghost. But, um, but the point is, the cloud overshadowed, and a voice from the cloud said, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Hear ye him. There was a time for the prophets. There was a time for the law. But who did it point to? Jesus. Jesus. Hear ye him. So grace and truth came by Jesus Christ. That's different than what was given at the law. John 1.17, for the law was given by Moses. The law, the schoolmaster that could not save you. 
It was helped you. It was your schoolmaster, but it was to lead you to Christ. But grace and truth came by Jesus Christ. First Peter 1.10 says, Of which salvation the prophets had inquired and searched diligently. Do you know the Old Testament prophets were very interested in knowing about the grace dispensation? They had spoke of it in some of their prophecies, but they saw, their, we see through a glass darkly. They saw even more darkly. Who prophesied of the grace that should come unto you. How privileged are we that we get to be sons and daughters in the house of God? What did they say about John the Baptist? He's one of the greatest prophets, but he that is least in the kingdom is greater than he. So, anticipating his own demise, Moses declared a prophet like him, a prophet like Moses, whom Israel would was to heed, would arise among God's people. In Deuteronomy 18, verse 15, verse 18, and verse 19, listen to what is said. The Lord thy God will raise up unto thee a prophet from the midst of thee, of thy brethren, like unto me, unto whom Unto him ye shall hearken. He, he, that's one of our things that he's saying. I will raise them up a prophet from among their brethren. He's the seed of Abraham. He was born here legally. Bruce taught us that. He came legally to get the dominion back. Like unto thee. And will put my words in his mouth. And he shall speak. And he shall speak unto them all that I shall command him. That's the apostle that sent one with the message that we're learning about. And it shall come to pass that whosoever will not hearken unto my words, which he shall speak in my name, I will require it of him. Where much is given, much has been given, much is required. We better know this word. We better know it. The prophecy was fulfilled in Jesus Christ, the new Moses. Acts 3, 22 and 23. For Moses truly said unto the fathers, A prophet shall the Lord your God raise up unto you of your brethren. Liken unto me him shall you hear in all things whatsoever he shall say unto you. And it shall come to pass that every soul which will not hear that prophet, listen, shall be destroyed from among the people. Where much is given, much is required. So Jesus is greater than Moses. Moses, it's pointed out, is faithful. They were both faithful. He served in Israel. He was a servant in the house of God. Jesus is the faithful son, the builder of the house. He's over the house, and he's worthy of more glory because he is the builder. Numbers 12, 7, and 8. My servant Moses is faithful in all my household. With him I will speak how? How did the Lord speak to Moses? Mouth to mouth. Mouth to mouth. Pretty close communication. <laughs> Moses faithfully led the children out of Egypt. That was hard. Do you remember their murmuring and complaining? And how, how that under the uh, hard conditions they, they were scared and different things. There were three 40-year periods in his life, 40 years in Egypt, where he denied all of that. He could have had that. He could have been in. He could have been in line to be a pharaoh, but he didn't want that. He wanted what was of God. 
There were 40 years on the backside of the desert where he was hiding out from Pharaoh because he had killed the um, taskmaster. And then there were 40 after he saw the burning bush and was called to go deliver the people out. There was 40 years leading the Israelites. So notice there is no mention of him killing the Egyptian or striking the rock when he was supposed to speak to it. He's faithful. He's faithful. Why? Because love covers, doesn't it? It's not talking about that. But also, the wisdom the author has, he's plugging in to the high regard they have for Moses. So he's not bringing up anything negative about Moses, is he? The author knows how much the Jewish Christians respect Moses, and he's trying to relate to them in this area. So maybe we could do that with Mary. With the, Christian, with the Catholics. Maybe we could do that with other people in wisely knowing how to relate and not say negative things about what they, how they worship. Mm -hmm. Just trying to find a connection point to lead them on to Christ. Right. And that's what he's so wisely doing. Mm -hmm. um, one of my study Bibles says, to the Jewish people, Moses was a great hero. He brought their ancestors, the Israelites, from Egyptian bondage to the promised land. That was that second generation. He led them right up to the edge. He also wrote the first five books of the Old Testament and was the prophet through whom God gave the law. But Jesus is to be more highly regarded as the central figure of faith than Moses, who was merely a human servant. And as wonderful as it was, we are to highly regard him in that area. Jesus is more than human. He is God himself. He's deity. As Moses led the people of Israel out of Egyptian bondage, what does Christ lead us out of? Sin. Slavery to sin. Slavery to this world. Why settle for Moses, the author of Hebrew asked, when you can have Christ who appointed Moses, the ones with eternal life? The phrase, in all his house, about talking about him being a servant, is taken from Numbers 12.7. The house refers to the tabernacle. Say the tabernacle. tabernacle. The center of Israelite worship, or the house of Israel, the people of Israel. He built, God built that nation. He took uh, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, changed Jacob's name to Israel, the nation of Israel, those 12 sons, and he built that nation. And he told Abraham, when he had called Abraham, what was going to happen? You're going to die a good old death, but your seed's going to go down into Egypt for 400 years, and then I'm going to deliver them out, and I'm going to bring them back to this promised land. God built that nation, okay? So house refers to the tabernacle, the center of Israelite worship. When he brought Moses to Mount Sinai, he gave him the law, but he also gave him the plans for the tabernacle plan, how God would dwell among his people, how he would be right in the center, the way they were to approach God, and, and uh, the, the high priesthood and all. He gave it to him. And Moses faithfully obeyed God's instruction. There were very, very specific instruction. And he was very faithful to do this. So in the same way Jesus had been obedient to the mission, the Father had given him... Wait. Jesus is faithful. Like Moses, their faithfulness is pointed out. But... And Jesus has been faithful to the Father, but so much more has he been faithful. Through his obedience, God established a new house of God. What is that? The church. The church. The old was, we're the true Israelite. We're the true Israel, God's Israel, okay? He'll refer to us as God's Israel. 
So as God's supreme sent one, that's the apostle, only time it's ever pointed out is in this chapter we're at. It's the only time God's called, uh, Jesus is called apostle. Jesus was completely faithful to the Father. I'm going to read you um, three scriptures from John talking about that. John 7, 18. He who speaks on his own accord seeks glory and honor for himself. But he who seeks the glory and the honor of the one who sent him he is true, and there is no unrighteousness or deception in him. He was faithful with the message. He didn't seek the glory. He sought the glory of who? The Father. The Father. John eight twenty nine. And he who sent me is always with me. He has not left me alone because I always do what pleases him. He was faithful. John 17, 4 and 5. I have glorified you down here on the earth by, by this is the um, Amplified, by completing the work that you gave me to do. Now, Father, glorify me together with yourself with the glory and majesty that I had with you before the world existed. So he did what he was sent to do. He, he brought us the salvation message. He uh, glorified the Father. So he who built all things is God. This is why he deserves more glory and more honor. So the author equates Jesus with who? God. 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 The answer's right there. The author equates Jesus with God. This is certainly worthy of more glory than Moses. The implication is that the covenant established through Jesus' death is more glorious than the covenant established at Mount Sinai. So let's talk about the son slash builder over the house that's worthy of more glory. What house is he building? I've already taught it. Can you say it? The New Testament is the? The Old Testament it is the? Nation of Israel. And it was the tabernacle. And Christ is a faith. I'm going to skip some of this. Christ is a faithful son over his house. So the son over the house, what house is he building? We've already said it's the church. And 1 Timothy 3.15 says, But if I tarry long, that thou mayest know how thou ought to behave thyself in the house of God, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and ground of truth. Grace and truth came through Jesus, the pillar and ground of church. He brought that truth, and he's establishing it through his church. Christ, however, is not merely in the house. He is the builder and the superintendent. 1 Corinthians 3, 9, For we are laborers together with God. Ye are God's husbandry. Ye are God's building. 1 Corinthians 3, 9. He's building the church. 1 Timothy 3.15, we covered that. And then Colossians 2.7, rooted and built up in him. And that's what he's trying to get to happen to these Jewish Christians. Rooted and built up in him and established in the faith as you have been taught, abounding therein with thanksgiving. And we're going to find out that the problem among Christians is what's in our heart and what's coming out of our mouth. And I don't think that on a daily basis we're putting enough emphasis on Thanksgiving and how we speak to one another. 
and we're going to see this. We're going to see in this chapter, it is so very important. We can harm one another. We are so very important in edifying. We need to pray this, that when we speak, we speak words of life that edify and build. We need to testify of one another. We need to ask God for wisdom in how to do this. And it goes against our nature. We have to take our nature off and we have to put these words of God and this good instruction on and we have to do this on a daily basis. When you fill out your thing, exhort one another daily while it is today, every day, encouraging one another, urging one another. So Christians are the temple of God. 1 Corinthians 3, 16 and 17. Know ye not that you are the temple of God and that the Spirit of God dwelleth in you. If any man defile the temple of God, him shall God destroy, for the temple of God is holy. What does holy mean? What's it mean that I am holy? I'm sanctified. I'm sanctified. I'm set apart for God. When we first get the Holy Ghost, when we first come to God... He just, uh, he just pronounces us sanctified. You know, he just puts us there. That's, I think, called, I think some people call that positional sanctification. But then there's the process of sanctification where we get rooted and grounded in him. We get really good at taking our flesh off and get skilled in using the word and get it in our mind and in our heart and coming out of our mouth. He's sanctifying us. He's maturing us. He's growing us. He's cleansing us. He's washing us with the water of the word. So we're talking about being the temple, being sanctified. He addresses the recipients in this chapter 3. He just dives in. He's not addressed them until now. And we find out they're holy brethren. So they're sanctified. They're of the family of God. They're sons and daughters of God. And what agreement, this is 2 Corinthians 6, 16, and what agreement hath the temple of God with idols? For ye are the temple of the living God, as God has said, I will dwell in them, and walk in them, and will be their God, and they shall be my people. How much more intimate is that, that he walks in us, he dwells in us, he is our God, and we are his people, than the tabernacle plan in the wilderness? Look how it, one person went into the Holy Holies once a year for the atonement, the high priest. They brought those uh, sacrifices daily, all those different offerings and different things. And that was all that they could have of worshiping God. He's in us. And then we get together corporately and we go into the very holy of holies and worship him. What, what has been given us, and it's holy, and it's the ground and pillar of truth on this earth. We're part of that. He brought that grace and truth, and he's establishing it. You know, there's an overlap of the kingdom of God and the church. They're not the same thing, but there's an overlap, because when he's our king, and he's ruling and reigning and will forever, we're bringing that. You know, we're, that's in this earth. And one day, it's going to be all the new heavens and all the new earth. What we have been given. And they're thinking about going back. Wow. So, this church being built. Peter's confession. I'm picking on Peter tonight, huh? 
Matthew 16, and Simon Peter answered and said, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered and said, Blessed art thou, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood hath not revealed it unto thee, but my Father which is in heaven. Who had to give you that revelation? Jesus. Yeah, God had to give us that. And I say unto thee, Thou art Peter. So it's intimate, Neil. I know who he is, and he calls me by. Thou art Peter. And upon this rock I will build my church. This intimacy. You, Moses may have got to talk to him mouth to mouth, but he's in us. And we're in him. Thou art Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against us. They can't beat us. <laughs> Underlying the references to the church as a building is the understanding the builder of all things is God. He's doing this. The weight's off of me. This pantry ministry, the weight's off of you. You just got to hear him and heed him and obey him. He's doing it. He's adding to the church daily such as should be saved. We're not doing God's job. We're doing our job. His ultimate feat of building is a heavenly city that has foundations, whose builder and maker is God, Hebrews 11.10, whose glory outshines everything imaginable. His face, his countenance lights it up. It's an inviting house with many rooms that Christ himself has prepared. So we talked about building his house. Who's in the house? Who's in the house? Wherefore, holy brethren, and I talked to you about being set apart for God. Jesus has made you holy if you have the Holy Ghost, if you've obeyed the apostles' doctrine. Jesus has made you holy. Christians no longer belong to the world. As Moses got them out of Egypt, he comes and he gets us out of this world. And he has set you apart for obedience to God. Hebrews 2.11 in the Amplified says, Both Jesus who sanctifies and those who are sanctified, that is spiritually transformed, made holy and set apart for God's purpose, are all from one Father. For this reason, he is not ashamed to call them brothers and sisters. If we're holy, if we're set apart, if we're not of this world, if we're growing in wisdom and knowledge of him and having this intimacy, he's not ashamed of us. Ephesians 2.19, so you're no longer strangers and aliens, outsiders without rights of citizenship. You are fellow citizens with the saints, God's people, and are members of God's household. We can put our shoulders back. Devil comes to steal, kill, and destroy and tell us we're nobody. We're, we're sons and daughters of God. Those who have believed and obeyed the gospel, they are the ones in the house of God. First Peter says, and, and we're much is given, much is required. We're building too. We're building too. And what we're building is going to be judged. 1 Peter 4.17, For the time has come that judgment must begin at the house of God. And if it begin at us, what shall the end of them that obey not the gospel of God? If he's going to judge our works, whether they're wood, hay, stubble, how we've built, what's going to happen to those that haven't obeyed the gospel? The image of building is used to picture the life choices that individuals make in following or refusing God's way. Jesus paints a memorable portrait of wise and foolish house builders. 
So we're also builders. 2 Timothy 2.19 Nevertheless, the foundation of God standeth sure, having this seal, the Lord knoweth them that are his. You're Peter. Peter knows who he is, this intimacy. And let everyone that nameth the name of Christ, his family names on us, depart from iniquity. We're holy. We're set apart. We're sanctified. So whose house are we? That's what the question is, but I put whose house are you? We need to consider this. Whose house am I? It depends on who you're confident in and who you are rejoicing in. Hebrews 3.6 says, but Christ is a son over his own house. Whose house are we if, there's four ifs in this chapter, if, if we hold fast the confidence and the rejoicing of the hope from unto the end. Do you remember your first love? Do you remember getting the Holy Ghost and the newness of it and the hope you had in your eternal home and that wonderful relationship? We need to keep it new. We need to keep it rich. We need to keep it real. Whose house are you? It all depends on who you're confident in and who you're rejoicing in. It has everything to do with that. Together we, in one of the grandest mysteries of the Bible, God becomes our dwelling place by faith in Jesus, and we also, as a people, become God's dwelling place. We see in Scripture that this dwelling of God actually grows. It becomes the most holy temple, Ephesians 2. It is something we are part of together. We're growing to this most holy temple. Together we are like living stones. Say living stones. And we form a holy house and a holy temple. 1 Peter 2, 4 and 5. This great mystery can never be realized if we forsake coming together. We're going to be told in Hebrews 10, 25, do not forsake the assembling of yourselves one together because it gets us rooted. It gets us to a place where we can give each other a word and we can encourage and we can lay hands on and strengthen one another. A majestic building of the temple of God. So, how does he build the house? How does he build it? The gospel Message, not yet. The gospel message. The apostle, he brings that message from heaven. Jesus has the words of life. The messengers, the disciples, the uh, apostles' doctrine, the book of Acts, building the church, God adding to it daily. What are the supplies to build the house? What does he use? People. People. And we better make sure he's the builder because Psalm 127.1, unless the Lord builds the house, they that build it labor in vain. We may make sure that we've got like they built the tabernacle. They had the blueprint. We better have the blueprint. We better have it. So consider, we're told to consider Jesus the apostle. Consider him. An apostle speaks to men on behalf of God. He's brought us the words of eternal life. He was sent to represent God to humanity. We read all the scriptures, those four scriptures from John, how he faithfully carried that out. 
Jesus was an apostle first, and then he sent out the twelve. And he said in John 20, 21, As the Father has sent me, even so am I sending you. Jesus was sent by God to reveal the Father. Look at this. Uh, my need is to do the will of him that sent me and to finish his work. John 6, 38. For I came down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him that sent me. John 7, 28 and 29. Then cried Jesus in the temple as he taught, saying, You both know me, and you know whence I am, and I am not come of myself. But he that sent me is true, whom ye know not. You're not intimate. He, he's not revealed himself to you. He's not living. You don't know him. So being in this church has everything to do with us being intimate and knowing God, being in him and him being in us. But I know him, for I am from him, and he hath sent me. John 8, and yet if I judge, my judgment is true, for I am not alone, but I am the Father that sent me. This is how he builds. <coughs> the messengers, Jesus' disciples, he trained them during the three-year ministry on this earth. They followed him everywhere they saw what he did. They were eyewitnesses. After his resurrection, he continued to train them. He was with them 40 days after he was resurrected, and he opened up the scriptures to them supernaturally so that they could see Jesus in him. They never could grasp the cross. He kept telling them that he had to go to the cross, read the Gospels. They never could get it. But after he's resurrected, 40 days he spends opening the Old Testament scriptures up, showing that they pointed to him. And he commanded them to be filled with the Holy Ghost before they began their ministry. Go tarry you in Jerusalem till you be endued with power from on high. And we know that's our Acts uh, 2. That's where we know the church started. So the supplies to build. Christ is the good material for God's building. In Isaiah 28, 16, he's called the foundation stone. In Matthew 21, 42, in Acts 4, 11, he's called the cornerstone. In Zechariah 4, 7, he's called the top stone. And then we've already talked about us being the living stones. 1 Peter 2, 4, and 5, to whom coming as unto a living stone, disallowed indeed of men, some stumbled over and some uh, didn't, they didn't want it. But chosen of God and precious, some disallowed him. Some don't want Jesus. Some don't want this heavenly message. Some don't believe it. Ye also, as lively stones, were built up that spiritual house, a holy priesthood. The priesthood's changing in Hebrews. It's not going to be through the Levites anymore. It's going to be after the order of Melchizedek. It's not just going to be one high priest going into the holy holies. No more sacrifices needed. He did that one-time sacrifice forever, forever. So what do we find in the Holy Holies now? We find the Son, we learn, sitting on the throne, the right hand of God, who is the priest forever. Study chapters 1, 2, and 3. I don't have time to go back there. He also is living stones 
God is an invisible spirit. Jesus Christ is the manifestation of God. He that has seen me has seen what? The Father. The Father. The Father. Ye also as lively stones are built up a spiritual house, a holy priesthood. Say a holy priesthood. Sanctified, set apart to offer up spiritual sacrifices, what's coming out of our mouth, acceptable unto God, praising Him, loving Him, edifying and building one another, doing things for Him, things that are acceptable. So what is God's grief? It is impossible to please God without what? Faith. The profession of our faith is talked about in this chapter. Consider Jesus, the apostle, and the high priest of our profession. What does that mean? The profession of our faith. When we're murmuring, complaining, disgruntled, and all, is that a profession of faith? Profession of faith is much more than just what comes out of our mouth. It has everything to do with our whole conversation, our whole lifestyle, what we're doing. As the Holy Ghost said in verse 7, today, if you will hear his voice, it has everything to do with studying this word and getting this in your heart so the right thing comes out in your mouth and in through your actions. Today, if you will hear his words, harden not your hearts, as in the provocation, that's where they provoked him in the wilderness, in the day of temptation in the wilderness, because you will be tempted to do this. It is a temptation to murmur and complain and go into unbelief. It's also a stubbornness to trust God. Your father tempted me, proved me, and saw my works 40 years. They saw everything that happened in Egypt. They saw the gods of Egypt be conquered and be defeated. They saw the Red Sea open up for them. They came over on dry ground. They saw Pharaoh and his chariots and horses drowned, but they did not keep praising God. If they'd have keep saying, singing the song, Moses' song on the other side, where Marion took the tambourine, if they did that every week, they would have been doing good, right? <laughs> right. They wouldn't have fallen into this. But when that sun came up and it got hot and it got hard and the giants were in front of them, they murmured and complained and they were ready to stone and kill the two that said, we can take it, we can do it, God said we could. And we're going to be accountable, we've been given much, and what comes out of our mouth and how we encourage or discourage. So we better have a word from the Lord every day for our conversations and what we're saying because this is how he builds the church. He's using our words and our faith and our encouragement. Ten, wherefore I was grieved with that generation and said they do always err in their heart they have not known my ways. Can we know him? Intimately. Intimately. They have not known my ways. The living God, the ones with eternal life. So as holy brothers and sisters, we all share in the heavenly calling. Allison, I can't wait. We're going to dance on streets of gold. I cannot wait to see what it's going to be like. We're not going to be disappointed. In Hebrews, we see many instances of the word heavenly being used. There's the heavenly gift, the heavenly sanctuary, heavenly things, heavenly country, heavenly Jerusalem. It is evident that the book is moving us. Heavenly. That's where our mind needs to be. That's where our treasure needs to be. In heaven. 
And as holy brothers and sisters, we all share in this heavenly calling. So how are the recipients described? Holy brethren, partakers, companions. Partaker can be a companion. It can be a partner of the heavenly calling. The heavenly calling of these companions is to inherit salvation. That's so interesting to me that we inherit salvation. And the first chapter says the angels watch over those that will inherit salvation. So I know that this Holy Ghost is just a little part of our inheritance. And then we'll get all of it in heaven. We inherit salvation. So the heavenly call to the companions is to inherit salvation and future glory. We don't know what we're going to be like, but we know it's going to be awesome because we have these promises. So we are partakers of Christ if, say if, yeah. for ifs, if we hold the beginning of our confidence steadfast into the end, a hardened heart will make us miss it. A hardened heart. What did pastor preach on Sunday? A hardened heart. A hardened heart. The first generation out of Egypt did not enter the promised land. That was their rest. Our rest will be heaven. Our rest will be where we completely have confidence in him, where we can even enter into it here. Here we see that it's not the beginning of the race that counts, but it is how we do at the end of the race. In the Olympics, many contestants begin well only to end in disaster and shame. Only the one who finishes is rewarded. Only the one who finishes best gets the gold. And he's better than that. He's worth anything that we would have to do. The wilderness generation started out very well with abundant signs and wonders and with the defeat of Pharaoh and his army in the sea. But they didn't end well. Let's pray that we end well. Let's encourage one another that we end well. Let's continue gathering together, exhorting and worshiping and keeping, keeping this praise coming out of our mouth. Look at verse 15. While it is said today, if you will hear his voice, hear, harden not your hearts. What voice are you hearing when you have a hardened heart? Your flesh or the devil or other carnal people, even carnal Christians. Whose voice are we wanting to hear? My sheep know my voice. Harden not your hearts as in the provocation. For some who heard did provoke, howbeit not all, that came out of Egypt by Moses. What time is it? I've got five minutes and I've got many notes. So we've got, uh, we've got a daily choice. Looking heavenward and considering Jesus or looking downward, which leads to doubting grumbling, contempt, hardness of heart, unbelief, and then will result in failure. Psalm 95 that they refer to here, it begins with something that's not in our text. It says, Oh come, let us worship and bow down. What a wonderful encouragement. Let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord, our Maker, for He is our God, and we are the people of His pasture and the sheep of His hand. Let us worship Him. So our part is to keep the faith, not to listen to Satan, not to listen to uh, carnal Christians, to stay in the Word, to exhort one another, is our part daily while it is today and to consider 
our high priest and apostle. To consider means to fix the attention on something in such a way that its inner meaning, say its inner meaning, meaning. the lesson it is designed to teach may be learned. You can uh, compare it with consider the ravens. When we remember when he was wanting to teach them how he would always supply their needs? Consider the ravens. It is an earnest appeal to look, to learn, and to understand. Consider Jesus. Consider the high priest of your profession. The author invites the Jewish believers to consider the faithfulness of Jesus. Consider the ravens. They neither sow nor reap. They have neither storehouse nor barn. And yet God feeds them. Of how much more value are you than the birds? He's building us. We are his building. We are holy. We are blessed to all be together. Let us worship him and continue in him. In Jesus' name. Lord, we love you. We praise you. We worship you. How wonderful you are. What a meal you have fed us tonight, dear God. We have sat at your table. I bless my brothers and my sisters, Lord Jesus, that we would continue on this wonderful journey that you have set before us and that we would enter into all that you have. Oh, God, I want to be an encourager of the prayer. Hallelujah. I want to continue.